Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. About six or eight weeks ago, I was having a talk with Pastor Brian Travail, and he just kind of came up with some, he just listed these three words, manipulation, intimidation, and uh, domination, uh, in the greater context of another conversation about COVID and a few other things that were going on. And I thought, wow, that would make an awesome three-part series for our church. So uh, over the next few weeks, I think we've got Morrow coming in somewhere in there. But at any rate, I would like to welcome to our stage Pastor Brian and Karen. She's, she's young enough, she doesn't need my help up those stairs. Good morning. So as uh, Pastor RJ did say, this has been something that's been on our heart, and uh, you probably don't really, if you don't know who we are, we'll just give you a brief introduction. We actually oversee, so I'm Pastor Brian and this is Pastor Karen, all right? Uh, we probably figured that out already, <laughs> but we oversee uh, Celebrate Recovery, the Genesis process, which is for relapse prevention, which deals with addiction, and then we are also trained as pastoral sex addiction professionals, and what we're currently working on is a sex addiction support group for both men and women that we're going to be bringing to WCF in the near future. That went over better at 9 o'clock. <laughs> So, one of the things about the main objectives of witchcraft, it's to control other human beings. The end result is witchcraft wants to control you. And we see that in various areas, and it accomplishes this objective by manipulation, intimidation, and domination. So we're going to be talking about the effects of all three of those qualities over the, next, over the three weeks that we're on. Uh, we're actually going to warm up uh, for tomorrow next week. Tomorrow's in on the 30th of August. Tough crowd today. <laughs> the series came about again as a discussion with Pastor RJ, and, you know, I think it doesn't take a lot to see that there's more going on than just COVID. And I'm not saying that the disease is not valid or not a legitimate disease, and I'm not saying that there's this conspiracy theory, but as, you walk, as we walk through this this season of COVID, there's been intimidation, there's been manipulation of facts, uh, there's been a lot of anger out in the streets all through North America, even in Canada, there's been protests in Canada. We're being told how and when we can meet, uh, we were shut down as a church through it. And again, I'm not going to badmouth the authorities because our job's to pray for them, right? Our job's to pray for the government officials. Okay, let me try that again. Our job is to pray for the government officials, right? Thank you. And, you know, I think we're all kind of navigating this season, and we really don't know, but I also think there's a spirit that's kind of prevalent over our atmosphere and over just our city in general, and there always has been in Windsor. And I think one of those is witchcraft. So I want to take us to Galatians 3. And when the scripture readers actually read 1 through 14 in Galatians and the New King James, but in Galatians 3, 1, Paul is speaking to the Galatian church. 
Now, you are not the Galatian church, and I'm not speaking to you directly, but some of these scriptures may touch home. Some of these scriptures may say, hmm, because I heard a lot of people after the first service come up to me and said, I thought you were talking to me, and I wasn't. But I think the good thing is that we expose truth and that we show where and how sneaky this spirit can be. Okay, and this was right within the church. It was right within a believing church, spirit-filled church as well at one time. In New King James, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed, portrayed among you as crucified? In the New Living, it says, who has cast an evil spell on you? Who has cast an evil spell on you? In the message, it says, you crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. And you know when the Spirit of God distances itself from us, it can seem pretty crazy. It can seem pretty lonely too. And I'm going to talk about this in a moment. But these are really strong words that Paul's really admonishing the Galatians here. And he's not talking again to unbelievers. He's talking to church believers that have veered off course. So I guess if it can happen in Galatia, it can happen anywhere. And it certainly can happen in the world that we live on and if you, in, in, in current day. And if you see the situation with all these COVID incidences, and like the fear was rampant there at first, like the first three, four weeks was just pure fear. Well, that's manipulation. It's also intimidation all rolled into one. And... My point is, if it can happen in the church, in the body of Christ, it can happen in the world that we live in. Amen? Derek Prince is a, an old-time Pentecostal preacher. He, had, he wrote a book called Lucifer Exposed. And he really kind of sums up the qualities of witchcraft here. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That seems pretty scary to me. What's interesting is in 1 Samuel 15.3, the instructions God, were, uh, God actually issued through Samuel the prophet, the instructions to Saul what his mission was. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Leave nothing, basically, is what he's saying. Polish everything. Saul didn't carry out his instructions, as we see, because he spared Agog because he wanted to parade him around in front of people. And he wanted to ac uh, actually uh, offer sacrifices of the best livestock that he captured, but God didn't tell him that. That was fear of man. That was the people that were surrounding him, and he succumbed to that fear of man and actually made those sacrifices, and God wasn't pleased. And sometimes God will tell us and give us instructions through the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we're like Saul, and sometimes we're not listening too well. But there's good news. Okay, we're going to teach you the good news here, but it's kind of somber when you start looking at this, right? Mm -hmm. Saul was fearful, his heart was disturbed, and when he sought the Lord, the Lord had departed him, okay? 
this was the beginning of an illegitimate authority coming over Saul. There's an illegitimate and there's legal, and there's legitimate and illegitimate authority. God is legit. He's the real deal. Okay? Satan brings illegitimate authority. He's a legalist. You give him an inch, he'll take the mile. That's the way he works. So what really I want to hit on here is that Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul departed from the Lord and he was no longer under God's authority. So there's spiritual powers at work here. Some of them are good, some of them are evil. They might look similar, but we need discernment as we go through that. We'll talk about that as we go through this series. In verse one, uh, first, in First Samuel twenty-eight three, in the New King James, it says that Saul literally put the mediums, the spiritualists, out of the land, gone, kicked them out, didn't want nothing to do with them. Samuel had passed away. He cleansed the land. He wanted a God-free land. You can read it yourself if you don't believe me. Hopefully, it's up there. Yeah, it's up there. Okay, so in First Samuel twenty-eight five, we see that Saul was afraid and that his heart actually was trembling. In 28.7 of 1 Samuel, it says that by that time, Saul was looking for a medium to come and tell him what was going to happen. That kind of happened pretty quick if you look at that. Verse 3 of that chapter, out with all the mediums, four, four verses later, he's bringing them back in. Now, I don't know what that time span is, but it seems like a very short amount of time to me. Is that fair to say? Okay, I'm doing all right so far? All right, thank you. So, okay, in verse uh, 7, we see how rebellion works hand in hand with witchcraft. You see, because he didn't really do what he was supposed to do in verse 15, and now God's departed him, and he's actually seeking outside help from the occult community. It's kind of scary, isn't it? He lost perspective somewhere in this journey. Samuel actually made two comparisons addressing two very sinful attitudes, rebellion and stubbornness. And this statement actually reveals God's evaluation of them both. Rebellion is a twin of witchcraft. That's kind of scary because all of us have rebellion in us, especially when we're kids. You guys are looking at me funny. You, come on, I did it when I was a kid. I'm not alone here. And rebellion works hand in hand with witchcraft. I'm sorry, stubbornness is as a, uh, a twin of idolatry. So what we see is rebellion actually rejects God's legitimate authority and actually moves us towards illegitimate authority. And we cannot exist in life long without authority, and neither did Saul. We need structure. We need authority in our life. And we see how quickly Saul's life actually turned. So my question to you today is, what authority are you following in your life today? Amen. So if you were to ask me, what is that one thing that you are passionately against? What would that be? Witchcraft. Because it personally touched me. It's part of my testimony. Starting in like grade three, I started reading these books, you know, got them from the library, and they had witches in them. But the thing was, the good witches were absolutely beautiful. 
they were shining, you know, some had little wands. I thought, oh, they're so nice. And they did good things for people. Then you had the bad witches, right? They were darkness and they did bad things. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to make sure I practice the white witchcraft and then I'll be okay. That'll be fine. So that's what I did. So when I was around 12 years old, I was in a speaking contest at school. Now, I was starting to really research witchcraft a lot. And my mom thought, you know, she's just bored with her schoolwork, right? It's just not challenging enough for her. And my teacher at the time knew a warlock and was going to introduce me to a warlock and his coven. And my mother said, absolutely not. Thank you, Mom. So in about the seventh grade, I was in a speaking contest with four other people. My subject was witchcraft. And I actually had my girlfriend holding up a poster of pictures that I drew about things that they use in a black mass. So there's four of us in the contest. I'm in front of the school. And then they bring in all the grades, even the little kids, right? But I didn't mind writing speeches, you know, and presenting them in front of the class. That was no problem. I loved doing it. So here I am that day. It's my turn. And I'm standing in front of the whole school. And I begin my speech. No problem. Then all of a sudden, I froze. And I saw my teacher go, I knew I blew it. But my girlfriend, who was standing next to me, knew my speech as well as I did. So she elbows me and told me my next line. So I finished the speech. I sat down. Of course, I didn't win. But I didn't think about it again, right? OK. So I blew it. That's all right. The next time I went to speak publicly, I was terrified. I couldn't do it in high school and in college. My knees would shake. I was absolutely full of fear. Where do you think that came from? The spirit of witchcraft is not something as a Christian to fear, but it's not something that you want to have in your life. It's serious, and it's time to clean house. There are only two supernatural powers. Two. The Holy Spirit, which is good, and Satan, which is evil. That's it. So whatever you're watching, whatever you're listening to, if it's a supernatural power, that's not the Holy Spirit, it's of Satan. Now let me talk about Harry Potter for a minute. This seems to be really, really big right now. So Harry Potter, now I didn't see the movies or anything, but I've got some research here about it. So Harry Potter went to a school, right? And he started learning good wizardry. Yeah. To be a good wizard, aha. I've heard this before. And then there was the dark side, the evil side. Well, when I became a Christian and I found out that there was only two powers, there was the Holy Spirit and then there was Satan, and I had been dabbling in that, I was hopping mad. I wanted no part of the powers of darkness in their insidious ways, in their deceptive ways. I wanted no part of that. Thus, one day after I was saved, I was at work and I just kind of prayed to God and I said, God, is there anything that I have left in my possession that is of the occult? Because I had gotten rid of all my books. I got rid of everything I had that had to do with witchcraft. And I went home that day and I walked into my apartment and I had this little bookshelf with a few little books in it, right? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 books or whatever. And out of the bookshelf, on the floor, face up, 
was the book Dracula. What can I say? That was divine, so of course, I got rid of it. But I'm saying that to say that sometimes we need to clean house. You are not playing with something, dabbling in this, that is just innocent and won't affect your life. It will affect your life. It will affect your family. It will affect all of those around you. You will be hit with nightmares. You will be hit with um, not only nightmares, but just like fear that is paralyzing will come upon you. And it can lead to drug addiction. It can lead to alcohol. It can lead to promiscuity. It's an open door. And today we're going to be talking about some of those things under the guise of manipulation that open the door to the occult as a Christian. Now here's another question. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Absolutely not. Once you get saved and the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you, no devil can inhabit you, period. That's the good news. But you as a Christian, amen to that, but you as a Christian can be oppressed on the outside by demons and evil spirits. Now, years ago, when I was like, did this speech, right? I proclaimed in front of a whole school, Satan. That's really what I did by talking about this. So today, I have the opportunity to once again denounce all of the powers of darkness, anything I ever dabbled in, and to proclaim now that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and he is Lord over all. Can I get an amen? Amen. And it may be time to clean house. Mm -hmm. Always remember mm -hmm. that little bit of leaven, that little bit of witchcraft will come in, and it will burst open, burst the doors open, and it is to destroy your life because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly, abundantly. And he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and learn from me. So if your yoke is not easy and your burden is not light, who are you serving? Hmm. Amen. Now the definition of witchcraft I have here is from Rick Joyner. And it's absolutely powerful. So I'm just going to read this. So witchcraft is counterfeit spiritual authority. Counterfeit. Remember... There's only two. There's God's kingdom and there's Satan's kingdom. So witchcraft is counterfeit spiritual authority. It is using a spirit other than the Holy Spirit to dominate, manipulate, or control others. Any authority or influence that we gain by our own manipulation or self-promotion will be a stumbling block to us and will hinder our ability to receive true authority from God. Remember, God is not a controller. He gives us free will. Witchcraft is of the flesh. And it seeks to control, it seeks to be the will of that person and an evil spirit, but they don't know that. The will of that person, and they want to control someone, or they want to control the weather, or they want to have power over a situation. It's the will of the person, and it is demonic. And that brings us to the next definition, manipulation. But, you know, witchcraft always presents itself as good, uh, witchcraft can't stand to be in the presence of God. It just can't stand to have God get the credit. It wants the credit. And manipulation is actually defined in Merriam-Webster as to manage or to utilize skillfully, craftily, 
to control or play upon by artful, unfair, or insidious means, especially to one's own advantage. See, witchcraft's trying to gain advantage. To change by artful or unfair means as to serve one's purpose is a form of witchcraft. And witchcraft is a work of the flesh, and it's listed in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Some of the synonyms would be exploit or play upon. Witchcraft also seeks to control by using intimidation. Intimidation is to make timid or fearful, frightened, especially to compel or deter, or as if by threats. Compel or deter by threats. The synonyms for that is bully, bulldoze, and strong-armed. Next, we have domination. And really, that's the ultimate end result or the end goal of all witchcraft. It is domination. Make no mistake about it. It wants to control your life. It wants to run your life. And it will run you to a place you don't want to go if you allow it. The definitions are supremacy, preeminence over another, uh, exercise of mastery or ruling power, sovereignty, reign, or dominion would be a synonym as well. Mm -hmm. Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary for Occult. Matters regarded as involving the action or influence of supernatural or supernormal powers or some secret knowledge of them, such as astrology, palmistry, card reading. Jack Wellman in What Does the Bible Say About Sorcery defines sorcery as the use of power gained from the control or authority of evil spirits or demons that are used to inflict harm, deceive others, or divine something. Sorcery can include the power to control the forces of nature or someone else by use of supernatural powers. Again, Satan. Some would define it as the ability to control nature or people using witchcraft or magic. The Bible is most certainly not silent about sorcery, and there is clear evidence that it is one of the greatest evils mentioned in the Bible. Next, we have divination. This is the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events, discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens, or by the aid of supernatural powers. And again, it does work in the supernatural, but God's power is the good power. Divination would be the bad power. I call it this way. God has two ways of imparting gifts into us. You can have the hot dog, or you can have the porterhouse steak. Now, I know I'm talking like a man. Most of us would want the porterhouse steak. Maybe not. Maybe we're all vegans here. No? Okay. The good point is, okay, prime ribs, good. I can live with that too. So here's the point is God has something good for us, and yet we sometimes settle for the lesser of the good. Mm-hmm. Next would be necromancy. And it is the conjuring or the calling of spirits of the dead for the purpose of magically revealing the future or influencing the course of events. And it's the same as sorcery, really. So what does the scripture warn us against and why do they warn us against any form of the occult? Is that a fair question? We're going to answer that. We are opening ourselves up to spirits other than God's. We are not looking to God for guidance. But we are actually opening the door for the occult to guide us. And if we allow Satan in, he'll take us wherever we don't want to go. 
We are turning away from the true faith in Jesus. And by the way, how do we please God? Anybody know? It's impossible to please God without faith. Yeah. So we are actually turning away our faith from Jesus, what he did on the cross. That's what Galatians 3, the scripture readers, talked about that. We are disobeying God's word and the Bible. In Ephesians 5, 10 to 14, he says, Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly do in secret. But the evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why, as I said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How many know light exposes darkness? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of darkness in Satan's kingdom. He portrays himself as light, but he is actually evil. In 1 John 4, 1-2, it says, Beloved, do not believe evil spirits, but test the spirits. Why do we have to test them? Because they're going to be very crafty. They're going to look like a spiritual spirit that we may believe is God. Whether or not they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So false prophets are out in the world that we live in. So I'm going to read a few scriptures from the Old Testament. We're not under that law today, but I want you to see what God says about it. It's pretty eye-opening. And then Brian's going to, Pastor Brian is going to read some from the New Testament. So Leviticus chapter 19. This chapter is holiness and personal conduct. Leviticus 19.26, do not practice fortune-telling or witchcraft. Pretty simple, right? Leviticus 19.30 and 31, do not defile yourselves by turning to mediums or to those who consult the spirits of the dead. I am the Lord your God. Straight into the point. Leviticus chapter 20, this is about punishments for disobedience. So in uh, verses 6 to 8, I will also turn those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. Leviticus 20, verse 27. Men and women among you who act as mediums or who consult the spirits of the dead must be put to death by stoning. They are guilty of a capital offense. Aren't you glad we're not under the law anymore? Now, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, they are about a call to holy living. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling, or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. In the New Testament, they also warn us in Scripture, in Galatians 5, 16 to 21, so, uh, in the New Living, by the way, uh, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. 
The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are, under no one, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. We don't need to put ourselves in the law. We don't need to make rules. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, I've been there, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we see is there's a battle going on here. There's still good news. You guys are looking pretty sour here. It's going to be better. It's, now, I'm going to take out some revelations. And when, you, when a preacher brings out something from revelations, it can be pretty intimidating. But it's going to be good, okay? Can you trust me? All right. Revelations 21, 6 to 8 says, To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all the blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Let's concentrate on the A part of that scripture, shall we? Revelation 9, 20 to 21 says, But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent. There's that word repent again. Of all their evil deeds and turned to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Romans, uh, Revelations 18, 23, 24 says, The light of a lamp will never shine on you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. Sounds like some of the wars that we've seen, doesn't it? Wasn't there something called the Holocaust? Interesting. Revelation 22, 14, 18. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, sorcerers, sexual immoral, murderers, idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. That's sobering. But we still have good news. Amen? Yeah, and those, those, are all, those are all signs of manipulation, and again, that's seeking to control another person. So we are going to talk about nine signs that you are being emotionally manipulated. These are works of the flesh that can open the door to the spirit of witchcraft, and it's all about attempting to control another human being. Some of these you're going to relate to. Now, we're not saying that you're a witch. We're saying that a chronic manipulator is opening the door to witchcraft. And we're gonna explain that as we go along. So there's nine signs, and this is by uh, Jennifer LeClaire Ministries. So we're gonna go through these pretty quickly. Number one, people give you ultimatums. 
These are threats. These are veiled threats or unveiled threats. When people say things like, well, if you don't do it my way, I'm just going to leave you. If you don't do what I want, if you don't say what I want, then I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. They say they're just not going to be your friend. So that's an ultimatum, and it's a threat, and I'd say to stay clear of those people. But we always give people a time to repent, right? We give them space to repent. Because often we're doing these things, we don't even know that we're doing them. But if someone is chronically always giving you ultimatums, either you do this or I'm out of here, then you may want to avoid that relationship. People use tears against you. Oh, this is one of my favorite. This is number two. When people cry because... Are you using tears against me? Hell no. Oh. <laughs> Goodness, no. When people that was cry... No, no, no. When people cry because they don't like what you said, because they didn't get their own way, or you didn't do something that they wanted you to do, then they manipulate you by crying about it. And I'm not talking about those people, like there's some of us that are criers, you know, we're praying with somebody or we're preaching or something and we start to cry a little bit, we feel very compassionate and everything. I'm not talking about people who just cry. I'm talking about those that use their tears to try to control you and get you to do what they want you to do. That's witchcraft. Number three, people give you the silent treatment. This can be a form of witchcraft. And it can start with people giving you the cold shoulder. You know, the silent treatment. How many husbands and wife ever practice that? No, not too many hands. Mm -hmm. So either we got a lying spirit in here, or there's blockages in the ear, or maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Hopefully I'm wrong. I don't think I am, though. We walk into the room, they won't talk to you, they turn away, or they just plain ignore you. How about you call this person and you text them, how are you, and they just plain out ignore you. They're giving you the silent treatment. They are, and if they're doing it deliberately, it's a, probably a form of witchcraft and it's probably a form of manipulation and control. Number four, people play the victim. Ever run into one of them? It's always about them. They're like, oh, poor me. Poor me. They say things like, don't you see how people are treating me? Or, I can't believe you're raising your voice to me. I, I just talk a little louder when I get passionate. I'm not raising my voice. <laughs> can't believe that you have become angry with me. You see, they're the victim. And you know, we all get angry sometimes, and we all can raise our voice, but it doesn't give us the right to abuse people. So what do we do? If that happens, we lift our voice, we apologize. And what really should happen is people should forgive you. That's really what should happen. But sometimes they want to punish you. They shouldn't play the victim or act hurt and wounded. And once you say you're sorry, that should be the end of it. Otherwise, it can be a sign of manipulation. Number five, people make you walk on eggshells. You ever have people that you're kind of like, oh, if I say the wrong thing, if I do the wrong thing, Oh, they are going to absolutely explode. So you're always like kind of careful around them and like how uneasy and uncomfortable is that, eh? Now, that's the sign that you're being emotionally manipulated. Now, there are times when, like I said, people don't know they're doing it. It may have been something that their parents and their grandparents did. So it's a learned behavior. 
So we want to be graceful with people, right? We want to give them a chance to repent. But that means we need to walk in love with them, but it also means that we need to confront them in love. Now, some of the ways you can do that with people that you're walking on eggshells with is you ask them, ask them questions, like you want to know what's going on. Um, does this seem reasonable to you? You know, what they're doing or what they're asking you to do, does this seem reasonable? Is this what you're really asking of me? Or do I get to have an opinion here? Now, sometimes when you talk to a master manipulator like that, they're going to back down. Other times they're going to argue with you. You know what? If they argue with you, just forget it. Don't lose your peace over it. Just walk away. You're not going to use manipulation on a manipulator, right, to teach them a lesson. Show them that you love them. And again, just give them a chance to repent. But you may have to break ties. Number six, people will guilt you. Oh, this is one of my favorite. They will make you feel guilty. You don't do, again, what they want you to do. All about control. Now, you may have some friends, you know, maybe it's their birthday or it's your mom, whatever. I want to get on moms here. But, and it's their birthday and it's like you say, you know, I really can't make it to your party. I'm really, really sorry, but something came up and I have somewhere to go. You know, that should be the end of it. But then they're like, oh, you didn't come and see me on my birthday. And then the old guilt things and, you know, blow so-and-so was there and so-and-so was there and you weren't there. It's like, you know what? The end of it is I couldn't make it. I'm sorry. Like, I'll give you a present. I'll do something for you. But they shouldn't try to make you feel guilty, right? You know, kind of stick it to you. That's a sign of manipulation. Now, again, I always like to say, this is a real sign of the flesh operating in witchcraft. We want to extend grace as much as possible, but we are not going to lose our peace over somebody trying to mm, make us feel guilty, right? Or if we're doing that, we want to not do these nine signs as well. Number seven, people will skew the facts. How does that work? Well, I'll say it's white, and they'll say it's black. And you ever run into one of them? You all know who I'm talking about. Have you ever been around people that just say, well, it happened this way or that way? Meanwhile, you know, you know that it's not the way it happened. But they kind of go in this accusation, and they kind of try to slander you, and they try to kind of convince you that, you know, oh, you're wrong, I got this right. They bring facts that are nowhere close to reality, but here's how they perceived it. And this is the, really the deal here. Your perception is your reality. Okay, your perception is your reality. But if people have a wounded heart or a wounded spirit, they're seeing things in a way that is not real or maybe not exactly accurate at the least. So their, fa uh, their facts are going to be skewed. And when they come at you and they attack you, they'll launch accusations. They'll bring concerns against you. They're really skewing the facts. Problem is, you cannot convince them that they're wrong because it's their reality. It's their reality. Number eight, people will twist your words. This is, again, a form of manipulation. Conversation goes something like that. But you said, wait, 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 that's not what I said. I know what I said. But you told me I didn't have to do this. Probably your kids might use that on some of you. <laughs> No, no, I, I would have remembered if I told you you didn't have to do it. But you said you were going to do it. No, no, no. There's always a no, no, no. There's always, but you misunderstood. 
So sometimes people just plain old act like we're stupid. Ever have one of them? Like you don't know what you said. They twist your words. And again, that's a form of manipulation. Number nine, people can suck the life out of you. Anybody been around one of them? They, those people are operating in the spirit of manipulation. And again, they'll suck the life right out of you. They drain you because they're always making you feel guilty all the time by giving you the silent treatment to get you to do what they want. It's always about what they want. Or they launch accusations and ultimatums against you. If you don't do it this way, I'm out of here. You have to realize that these are a kind of people that are toxic in your life. Now, you have to be loving towards them. God commands that, right? But he's not calling you to be a doormat. He's not saying that you take a, and put up with abuse. So if you're in a relationship with someone who's constantly doing these things, you really have two choices, right? You have two choices. You either confront it, and you confront it in a way with a spirit of restoration, or you ignore it, or you just put up with it. Whether they want to reconcile or whether they don't, that's entirely their choice, and ultimately is their choice. But if they don't want to reconcile with you, you're out of there. This is just a reminder because I really believe this is the heart of Jesus. In Revelation uh, 2, verse 21, it says, Even Jesus gave Jezebel a place or a space to repent. Even Jesus gave Jezebel. She's one of the most wicked spirits you'll probably run into, and she runs very closely with witchcraft, and we'll be talking about her. Jesus gave her a place to actually repent. We're going to do this in about 60 seconds. I know. So now, in, within one or two minutes, Six Ways to Deal with Emotional Manipulation by Jennifer LeClaire. So, how do you respond to all this? Now you know you've been emotionally manipulated, or maybe you're the one doing the manipulating. How do you break free from this? Number one, repent. Ask God to forgive you for coming under a false authority. We are commanded to walk in love, but we do not have to be an emotional slave. Number two, forgive yourself. Once you see the manipulation, you'll probably be angry with yourself or feel dumb for falling into the emotional manipulator's trap. Forgive yourself. It can happen to anyone. Learn to offer diplomatic no. Matthew 5, 37 says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So manipulators will always get angry when you stop catering to their every whim, but just boundaries and use biblical love. Ask pushback questions, number four. Does it seem reasonable? Are you really expecting me to do this for you? And do I get an opinion in there? See, many times manipulators will back down. Other times they won't. But Paul actually told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24, he said, don't argue your case. Number five, deploy a time buffer. I like this one. When the manipulator asks you to do something for them that's unreasonable, use these four words. I'll think about it. It's much, much softer than just saying no, and it can help you avoid the manipulator's wrath. And Proverbs 51, a soft answer, as Solomon said, turns away wrath. Number six, confront the manipulator. Just like a bully on the playground, emotional manipulators sometimes need to be confronted. Now that sounds really, really scary, but God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. But having said that, if the manipulator will not repent, it may be time to cut ties. Always remember to seek professional help. If you are talking about in a marriage relationship or with uh, relatives, whatever, or if there's any type of abuse, 
always seek professional help, right? You can talk to a counselor, you can talk to a coach, you can talk to a mentor, a sponsor, a pastor. Just make sure before you confront a master manipulator that you've talked to someone about it. Can you stand with me, please? Maybe we've said something that's touched your heart or pricked your heart, as they say. Maybe there's some of those qualities we described that you recognized in yourself or another person. Maybe you haven't loved that other person that's been doing those things to you. But Jesus gave Jezebel a chance to repent. And what I'm really here to ask today is, do you need a house cleaning? Because you're the temple of God. How is our heart today line up with what we just heard? And how are we encouraging the work of witchcraft manipulation in our life? Because it's something and it's a road we don't want to go down. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't want us to go down. Because remember, he has a nice big prime rib for us. But many times when the pressures come, we resort to behaviors. We resort to beliefs. And we activate things of the wrong spirit, of an evil spirit. Because God wants to be with you and God will stay with you. But your job is to not turn from him and seek other authority. Because there's illegitimate authority and it's willing to take its place. It wants to come in and dominate if you allow it. It wants to ruin your marriage, your family, your church your work, if you allow it. So today, I just ask you right now to just join with me. And if there's anything that I'm mentioning here, just tell it to go in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I come in the name of you, the most high God, the living God. You gave your life for us. Because Romans 10, 8 to 10 says, in fact, it says the message was very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. In your heart is where this all begins. And the message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe in your heart? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So Father, I just lift up everybody in the sound of my voice. Yes, Lord. I break the power of every hindering witchcraft spirit, every witchcraft spirit of control, mind-binding spirits, spirits that block or bind the will yes, or the conscious mind that controls that brings destruction, that works with lust, fantasy, perversion, any intimidation, rebellion, or rejection. I come against schizophrenia, paranoia, thank you, anger, drug use, both illegal and prescription drugs, and not all prescription drugs. I'm talking about abuse of prescription drugs. Hatred, wrath, and rage. Resentments and bitterness are not of you, Lord. Unforgiveness, as you said, is not a you either, that we are to forgive those that do wrong to us. Slander, unteachableness, deception, doubt, and unbelief. Passivity, 
pride and false humility. If any of those qualities have hit you, tell it to go. Tell it to go. In Jesus' name, ask Jesus into your heart. Wherever those qualities are in operation, because Jesus is here to heal us, not to lead us down the wrong road of illegitimate authority. I'm just going to give that a minute to, to minister. I know we're running late, and I apologize, but I really feel that there's something working here. I really feel the Spirit is talking to somebody here. If that's you, just come down after. Just come down after. We're going to go into communion right now. On the night that he was betrayed, that Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks to it. God for it. Father, we thank you for this bread, but we also thank you for this word today that you have released over our ears. Then he broke it in pieces. He said, this is my body and it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, that we, would, we could have an abundant life, free all the effects of all demonic powers. In Jesus' name. Well, we thank you for your patience. It's time for the offering. If you're dropping money off, the ushers will be at the back doors. If not, we have the web apps if you give online. We appreciate your offering. How would you like the blessed offering? Oh, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you have given so graciously to us in this awesome country of Canada. And Lord, mm -hmm. with what you have given to us, we return a part to you so that WCF and other ministries can be blessed. And Father, I thank you that you bless the gift and the giver in Jesus' name. Have a wonderful week. Go in peace.